We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to the Platinum Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Sarah Marentz, who's a on-camera and voiceover talent. And this was a conversation that originally popped off. I kind of saw her on some local DFW blog posts as well as interviews and kind of realized that I've never had someone that has done specifically voiceover uh, voiceover and voiceover style work. Um, You know, never really kind of knew uh, about this type of profession and kind of the ins and outs and, you know, kind of uh, what it's like working with companies on doing voiceover work and just kind of the, I guess, competitive environment into getting a role like that. So wanted to just thank you again, Sarah, for taking out the time today to Honestly, just come on the podcast to kind of talk about, I guess, how you got into a position like that. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to answer all of your questions and to talk about the world of voiceover. So I guess before like the idea of, I guess, voiceovers even was a reality, I I kind of, uh, you know, saw in recent blog posts that, you know, you, it seemed like you had a really creative childhood growing up. I was kind of wondering, you know, what was the... I guess, like first creative experiences that you're involved with and like were your p- parents very supportive when it came to like creative projects? Absolutely. So I was a very creative child. I was always into the arts um, from a very young age. I would draw and sketch and things like that. And then um, also I did musical theater for years. I started when I was so young. I was also in Irish step dancing competitively. So I was always um, dabbling in the arts in some way. And my parents exposed me and my siblings to theater very early. My dad programmed radio stations in Pittsburgh, where I'm from, for many years. And so music was always on in our house, um, or we were going to see musicals that were coming to Pittsburgh. We They would take us to New York City to see shows. So um, being surrounded by music and by the arts happened very early on in my life. I am one of four children, and I would kind of orchestrate these plays or musicals or just like singing shows um, with my siblings for my parents in our basement. And, you know, we had all the dress up costumes and things. So I would go all out with those. Um, So I think it was the entertaining bug was always there. I was bitten by the entertainment bug early on in life. And that's kind of uh, like the the idea of the Irish step dancing performances. Uh, yeah, that was very surprising to me when I kind of saw that in the interviews. Did you do like a lot of uh, like traveling related to something like that? Absolutely. So um, I did it with my younger brother and younger sister, and it 
all kind of started because my um, grandparents on my mom's side uh, were from Ireland and my grandfather owned an Irish restaurant in Pittsburgh. Um, and so Irish culture was very big and we were surrounded by it growing up. Just my mom's one of seven. Um, I have loads of cousins on that side and we were always getting together. And anytime our family would get together, it would always turn into kind of just a big Irish fest with Irish music and dancing. So my mom put us in Irish dancing very early on. Um, and we would perform at my grandfather's restaurant. It was called the Blarney Stone. So we would perform there. That was actually the first stage I probably performed on. I was very young. And um, I would sing like Irish songs uh, in between the dancing. And then when we would compete, we competed throughout the U.S. And we would go into Canada as well, um, travel over to Ireland to perform. So it definitely took us all over. We were gone almost every weekend, I would say, in the summer, traveling to a different competition. And in the Irish dance world, competitions are called feshes. So you would be going to a fesh. And um, sometimes it would be two in one weekend. And so, yeah, it was always something different every weekend and going somewhere new and performing. But my family was definitely busy. We were always on the go. Like we never had downtime. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we even took all of our Irish dance, like shoes and dresses and stuff over to Ireland for my uncle's wedding one year. Um, so it was, we were always performing and, um, I still do it. So actually I just got married in November and my brother and sister and I, and a few of our friends who we grew up Irish dancing with, they were there. And so we all got up and danced. We danced at my sister's wedding. We danced at like any event that there is. We always Irish step dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask like on uh, the Irish step dancing on, I guess like when it comes to the training of something like that was like the, I guess like the talent behind Irish step dancing. Is it like still with you after um, you know, after a while of like not performing in those type of competitions or, you know, is it easy to pick up again? It's always with you. Like, I think my brother and sister could probably walk in right now and we could dance and like do our thing. And we would just like know what we're going to do because the three of us have performed forever, like for so many years. And so we would know which little dances or numbers we could do. Um, if you asked me to do some of my dances from like competition days, uh, I mean, might be a bit rusty, but in terms of the art of Irish step dancing and the technique, uh, I would say it's definitely still there and it's always with you. And of course, every year on St. Patrick's Day, you end up dancing somewhere for free drinks. <laughs> and like w when you're kind of bringing up, um, you know, being one of four kids and they're kind of also involved in these uh, Irish step dancing performances. I was kind of wondering on like uh, with your siblings, did they all also end up getting into other creative fields and kind of, uh, you know, growing up, like, did you each have a specific niche when it came to creative expertise or were you all wanting to, I guess, like be just generally in the creative field? Um, so yes, uh, my other siblings didn't pursue entertainment um, like I did, but my younger brother, Chris, is very talented uh, at playing piano, and he attended Vanderbilt University, and during one of his semesters, they their college magazine actually did an article on him about how 
he is so creative and talented in like the arts with Irish step dancing and um, playing the piano, but also on the academic side, he was um, a double major. He got his master's. Uh, he does robotics engineering for Boeing. So he is very, very intelligent and also um, very proficient in the arts. And so that's pretty cool. My sister graduated high school and moved to Orlando and worked in entertainment for Disney for eight years. So she was always more um, into like the theater and the drama side. Like she, we both did musicals, but whereas I was pursuing singing, like the singing aspect of music and went to Nashville after high school, she was very much into um, like the theater aspect of entertainment. So she worked for Disney for eight years. Um, and so, yeah, it was the entertainment um, gene was in all of us. And uh, we just all kind of pursued it in different ways. Um, even though my brother works for Boeing, like he DJs and he travels around DJing. And, you know, if there's a piano, he'll play the piano. And of course we dance. And my sister, um, you know, still has a love for theater. So yeah, I think it is always with you. And kind of when you brought up one of your siblings uh, with the years of experience in Disney, did you ever get any uh, wild perks in that? Yes. So um, she worked there full-time for eight years. And I actually ended up working there part-time for four years. And uh, yes, of course, you get lots of great perks working for Disney. I, I love Disney. I always will. Um, I lived in Orlando for uh, quite a few years. I you know, obviously live in Dallas now, but I'm still a huge Disney fan. Obviously, I have my Winnie the Pooh sweatshirt on right now. Um, but if like um, if for everyone listening, because you can't see it, but behind me, I have a bookshelf that is all Disney figurines and statues that my mom actually started collecting for me when I was little. But then I added to and the whole thing. And then the top shelf is all of my run Disney um, pictures and medals and things in my Disney ears. So I know we just got kind of sidetracked, but Disney was great. I loved it. Um, I made lots of great friends. I had It was just like a wonderful exper experience. I've always been um, a huge Disney lover. So it was great working there. But yeah, the perks were great. Mm -hmm. So with like the kind of idea of, uh, you know, uh, all your other siblings being from, you know, really creative minded amongst them, even though uh, if not all of them went specifically into the similar creative fields, I was kind of wondering, like, did they have uh, did all you guys go to like the same um, performing art schools or, you know, what was that like? Um, so. I went to a performing arts high school in Pittsburgh called Lincoln Park, and I, um, you kind of picked uh, an area to really focus on. I picked musical theater. Uh, my sister did attend there for two years and then went back to the public high school because she um, was a runner. She ran track and you know went to the Junior Olympics and all that stuff for it. So uh, she went back to public school to focus more on running and track and field. And my brother, Chris, always stayed in the public high school. Um, I mean, his main focus in high school was academics. So he wasn't looking to do theater on the side or anything. And um, our Irish step dancing was something that was outside of school. So um, we we all kind of, let's see, they graduated from the same school, but I ended up graduating from the performing arts high school. Mm-hmm. When you bring up like the idea of having to specific, I guess, like pick a major or field of focus within a performing arts school, I was kind of wondering on like, what did the, I guess the classes look like? Do you still have to take 
I guess, like the core mathematics and everything? Or, you know, how much is actually focused towards like the performing arts? Um, Yes. So you still have your core classes. But the way it was set up when I was there for my junior and senior year, you had your arts classes in the morning. So um, you for musical theater, I had say it was dance classes first. So like Monday would be ballet, Tuesday jazz, Wednesday modern, Thursday tap, and then Friday ballet again, something like that. And it'd be for an hour, hour and a half. And then you would have like musical theater history or improv or, um, you know, stage tech, things like that. So your mornings were filled with your um, main focus, whatever it was, whether it was dance or theater or voice or musical theater, you had all of that in the morning. And then after lunch, you went into your academics. Um, and I know when I was there, they also offered a, through like a local community college, you could get um, college credit for things. So I did end up doing that my senior year. All of our academics were online through um, a program called PA Cyber. So we could kind of really work at our own pace in terms of like finishing classes, even though we sat in a class, had lessons, you know, with the teachers and stuff, we could kind of work ahead, which was really nice, especially for me, my senior year, because I was traveling a lot to Nashville um, to, you know, record and kind of get my feet wet there. Um, And then after your academic classes, like if you're in theater, you have, you would have like musical theater practice. And so that would go from like 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. during tech week. Um, And that was for a few months uh, for like they had the fall musical and then the spring musical. So the days were long, but honestly, it didn't feel like that because I mean, you're with your friends who are equally as weird as you are uh, all day, like singing and dancing in the hallways and at lunch and stuff. So I loved it. It was super fun. Um, And yeah, that's how our days were set up day to day. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know about like, um, you know, like the four to nine schedule. Was there like any projects or any plays that you're involved with that um, like was the most like time consuming at the time? Um, I'm trying to think. So when I was there, I was in 42nd Street, Cats, and a musical called Leader of the Pack. And I would have to say my favorite one that I was in was probably the one that um, took the most in terms of rehearsing and stuff. And that was Cats. I was Grizabella in the musical. And uh, we had just this like unbelievable set and costumes. And we had people come in to teach us how to apply the makeup and everything. And my our director at the school at the time had done the national touring um, cast of Cats. And so you know, we learned original choreography and um, kind of had that insight, which was nice. And but there's a lot of dancing. Um, and that one took a lot, a lot to rehearse. Plus, if you're if you are familiar with the musical Cats, you know uh, that Grizabella sings the song Memory, which is a, a pretty big song from the musical. And um, so that took a lot vocally to um, preparing for that and then performing that. Um, but I would say Cats probably um, took the longest. Like all of the time for each musical, we had the same amount of time for rehearsals and for tech and everything like that. Um, but that one was the most involved. And like something, I guess like performing in something like Cats, were you already like with stage fright, like even a thing for you at that point? Or like, you know, with uh, kind of a childhood of, Irish step dancing and doing like other plays, was it always like an easy transition performing in front of 
uh, large audiences like that? I think since I started performing in front of people and especially in competition where you're being judged, um, it it wasn't difficult for me to, um, you know, perform on stage, whether it was in a musical or performing, you know, as myself, you know, country shows or what whatnot. Um, there's always that little feeling of like butterflies because you want to do really well. So it's like an excited nervous. Um, so I, I say that even now before a voiceover session, especially if it's like a big one for something national or whatnot, I get, you know, a little nervous and, you know, I just always make sure I have everything in place and you just go through a mental checklist, you know, knowing you're prepared. And, you know, I would do that for dance, theater, singing, voiceover, whatever it was. But I think starting so early definitely helped for performing later in life. Mm-hmm. And kind of, uh, I guess with that type of schedule, I was kind of wondering, like, do you think that the idea of a, like, was the performing arts high school, do you think, uh, like, your creative path would be any different? Like, if you didn't do, if you would have, like, stayed in, like, public school or... Um, do you think like you still would have, uh, gone down this creative path, even if you didn't have that type of, I guess, like early structure when it came to like these plays and everything? I definitely think that I would still be in entertainment or the world of entertainment in some way. I think going to a performing arts school only helped me. Um, like it was, it just was something added that was, you know, perfect for that time. Um, my parents, you know, were very involved behind the scenes in terms of, you know, putting us into theater classes, getting us to where we needed to be, making sure we had everything we needed. Um, And especially my junior and senior year when I started traveling to Nashville for music, like they were there, they did whatever it took to make sure that, you know, I was where I was supposed to be. And I think going to performing arts school, they understood it a little better that I was traveling and traveling for the arts and music and stuff. So they were a little more forgiving on how much school I ended up missing my senior year, um, which was, which was very nice. But I think having the structure and the foundation that I had so early on at home helped me get to where I am right now. And I remembered seeing like, uh, kind of in a recent interview with you when it kind of talked about, your experience with country music. And I remember just kind of, uh, you know, definitely thinking that like, man, that's uh, definitely a sharp transition um, to kind of like your previous acting experience and everything. And I was kind of wondering, like, did the, I guess the enjoyment of country music, did that pop off like in, um, you know, performance art school? And, you know, if so, was there anything that you saw specifically in uh, like country music? Sure. So I actually was exposed to country music very early on with my mom. She was a huge country music fan. She still is. And she um, would have like the same few artists that she would have on cassette tape. Um, And for those of you listening who don't know what a cassette is, I guess she's going to have to Google it. Um, But she would have the cassette of like Leanne Rimes, um, Mary Chapin Carpenter, Dina Carter. Like these are all artists that were very big, female artists that were very big um, when I was little, so like early nineties. And I remember just loving it. And at that point, I didn't really know what they were singing about. I just knew I liked the music. Um, and my dad programmed 
an oldie station in Pittsburgh. And so for a long time, I really only thought there was like oldies music and country music um, until I got a little older and discovered like the Spice Girls and NSYNC. Um, but so I was influenced by country music very early on, especially the women in country music, because at that time there were just it was very female dominated with like Leanne Rimes, Martina McBride, um, Reba, Shania Twain, Faith Hill, all of those women who have just incredible voices. And so I think that being exposed to that and listening and seeing them perform, I was like, oh, okay, like I like the genre music and that's something I want to do. Pittsburgh has a very large country music fan base and they have like two or three country stations that are big and they would get all the big country music concerts that were on tour that would come through um, Pittsburgh and they offered a lot of support to local artists. So when I was 12, 13, 14, just really until I graduated high school, um, I, they would offer like opening spots. Like you could open earlier in the day on like a side stage or even the main stage for some of the concerts for like Kenny Chesney. I missed my high school graduation actually because I was performing at the Kenny Chesney concert. I was doing a set, you know, before the show for one of the radio stations. So I had a lot of opportunity thanks to the radio stations in Pittsburgh to perform. And I loved it. I mean, I loved theater and I loved doing the musicals in school and stuff, but I knew that I like really felt at home performing country music and just performing kind of as myself with a band for other people. Mm-hmm. And kind of, uh, I mean, I know like with your, when you're kind of mentioning starting off early with your enjoyment of country music, and you already had kind of the experience with uh, being able to perform in front of others and being in, in front of audiences. I was kind of wondering, like, uh, so when you're on like these first stages, did you, I guess, were you writing your own music? Were you doing covers? Did you have experience with either singing or guitars before? Yeah. So I was started out, I started doing covers um, and I would do covers of, you know, the songs with women with the big voices, like your Faith Hill song, Sugarland, anything like that. Um, So yes. And then when I started going to Nashville and songwriting and meeting songwriters, I started doing more original music. And especially in Nashville, when you go to a writer's round or just something, you're going to perform music you've written. Um, So yes, I've I started out singing covers and then moved into singing original music. And when I recorded my first CD and then um, my second one, and then I did a third EP, then my shows and my sets were filled with my own music. I always threw in to one or two covers. Um, One of the songs I would sing all the time was Where Would You Be by Martina McBride. Um, So I would always throw some in because it's always nice to have when you're an unknown artist or you're trying to, you know, get your name out there, it's nice to give the audience songs that they know as well. Um, but it eventually got to the point where it was mostly my own music. And some of it I had written. Some of it was original music from other songwriters. It was a kind of a mix. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of originally mentioning, like, uh, I guess getting involved with um, country music, um, kind of in an early age when you're kind of seeing a lot of the um, larger female artists, uh, artists like pop up in country music. I was kind of wondering, and then you're kind of talking about like a couple of the major radio stations in Pittsburgh. I was kind of wondering, like, with Pittsburgh and like Nashville, um, has like the country influence like been increasing or declining, like, since you? 
um, primarily we're like traveling in between both? I mean, I think country music is just huge. And I think that it's the genre of country music has opened up where now it kind of sounds a little poppy, you know, so you have like country pop, which um, kind of has really, you know, become a huge thing in the past few years. So I'd say it's definitely changed, but I don't think there's any slowing down uh, the country music fan base anywhere. Like, I think it's huge pretty much everywhere. And do you like, uh, I guess, like that idea when you bring up like, uh, I guess, like country pop, do you, I guess, are you optimistic about that? Uh, I guess, like with it becoming more mainstream or like more people are listening to country, but maybe it's kind of getting further away from the roots. Uh, Like, are you optimistic for something like that? Um, I don't know. I know that I personally like listening to a country music that I listened to when I was growing up. Um, I don't really listen to it a whole lot anymore. Um, you know, I, when I get in the car, I, I like to listen to podcasts actually. Um, so I, I don't, I can't really speak for like the future of country music, like where it's going to go in the next few years or kind of where it is right now, because if I'm going to listen to it, I'm going to find like a throwback station or something like that um, versus just having it on like what's popular today in the car. Mm-hmm. And I guess like what point, uh, you know, kind of in the travels to Nashville uh, that you decided to, I remember kind of saying that you decided to go out to Orlando and there was kind of an interest on uh, doing more behind the scenes. Were you doing like behind the scenes work when it came to uh, like your, your own music at the time? So when I was in Nashville, it was mostly performing, songwriting, you know, being front and center on stage, all of that. Um, I would travel back to Pittsburgh for a restaurant chain called Eaton Park, and they're in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. And I became the face of their brand for a number of years. So I would do all of their commercials and actually their voiceover work. That was my intro into voiceover. Um So I was doing that while I was also doing everything in Nashville. And I kind of like really fell in love with doing on camera. And I had done commercials as a kid, like I was with a talent agency and all that stuff. Um, So I was familiar with on camera work and I know or I knew there was a huge market for it in Florida. My sister was there. My parents eventually moved there and I kept visiting. And every time I would visit, my stays would get longer and longer and um I was mentally getting a little burnout in Nashville. So I decided to make the move to Orlando in about 2015, got with a talent agency, started doing commercial work, and it really snowballed. It was it was awesome, like so perfect. I had the opportunity to work with so many companies, do so much like hosting, um, doing HSN, the home shopping network, doing commercials with ESPN, Wide World of Sports, um, Disney, like all different kinds of stuff. And I just, I loved it so, so much. And some of those jobs required voiceover. Um, I ended up taking a voiceover class because I started to kind of get an interest in it and realized I was like, oh, wow, like I really want to, I didn't know this could be a career for people. Um, This is pretty cool. And so I, that's kind of how my voice, I went from like Nashville to Orlando for on-camera stuff which slowly led into voiceover, which is now what I do all the time. Mm-hmm. And kind of like when when you kind of mentioned like the idea of going into a voiceover class, I was curious on like, what does a schedule for something like that look like? And uh, is it very similar as far as the routines? Is it very similar to, 
I guess maybe what you're doing when it came to singing as far as like vocal exercises? Um, well, no, not so much vocal exercises. I'll do those personally if I'm going to warm up for something. Um, because I am just so used to warming up that way. Um, so when I used to, when I was little and I took voice lessons, you know, you would do your warm ups and do your scales and work on your range and your octaves and all of that stuff. And then, you know, you'd work on musical theater songs for auditions and this, that, the other thing. Um, and then for on camera, I took a few like improv classes, just on camera classes. And, you know, you work on scenes and things like that. Um, and then for voiceover, it was a seminar that I took and it was like an all day thing in Florida. And you just kind of went over kind of voiceover from start to finish. Like if you were just starting out, like what you should do and, um, like equipment and auditions and things like that. Um, so I would... So I took that seminar. I was like, oh, I really like this. And then I actually did seek out a voiceover coach. And that was something that was weekly for, I want to say, eight or nine weeks. And every week you would work on a different kind of read, whether it was a commercial read, um, an e-learning read, animation, just something different um, to kind of work on and introduce you to the different areas and genres of voiceover. Um, and then I've worked with, you know, an improv coach for voiceover a few times and, you know, taken animation classes. So each genre, the classes and the sessions are going to be different. Um, but yeah, it's, you can, you know, do vocal warmups and things like that. You don't, you aren't necessarily going to do them in a voiceover Mm -hmm. session. Um, that, like I said, it's just something I'll do personally to warm up my range before a job. Mm. And like in these classes, when you're talking about uh, just the regularly, um, they're kind of give you different readings to kind of work on and practice and like improvise on. So is it like it for each reading or you have to do you have to like change your vocal reflection a lot or like the pitch of your voice a lot or um, like what do you uh, typically like change up for these readings? Um, So if it's a commercial read, um, you can they'll tell you and talk about making it more conversational, like you're talking to your best friend or you're talking to your sibling, something like that, just kind of telling them about a product instead of talking about the product or reading the spot very like harsh, like kind of like, you know, just very relaxed. So that's something to work on, you know, in commercial with, you know, animation, um, which I don't have too much um, experience in the animation world, but they will kind of have you read a scene and really focus on the reactions. Okay. So like what's, you know, what's this person reacting to and talking and, you know, thinking about what happened before they said this and kind of changing your inflection or, you know, changing your voice. I know in animation a lot, they'll look at a picture of the character and kind of say, okay, this character has teeth like this or eyes like this. And, um, or, you know, they have, little hands and big feet, whatever it is. And so you kind of think like, okay, if I had that, or if I look like that, like, what would I sound like? So something like that. Um, like I said, I focus more on the commercial and e-learning side of things, but, um, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And with like the idea of working with commercials and e-learning, I was kind of wondering, like, has, uh, I guess like since you started and, gaining clients um you know has like the budgets for i guess like voiceover work or like the need for voiceover work has that been like increasing like moving forward absolutely so 
as with anything, it takes time to build your, you know, client list. And for me, I started out on um, a pay-to-play site, which is called Voice123. I personally um, found a lot of success with Voice123. I know that um, pay-to-plays can be a little controversial in the voiceover world, but for me personally, it worked out very well. I would just kind of audition all day um, and slowly build clients. And then I would do some reach out marketing, like reach out to certain companies or things like that. That's not totally my game or where I'm comfortable. But I, but then I got a voiceover agent and then I signed on with a management team that are out of New York and LA. So that really helped and opened the doors. But it took time. It took a few years um, because you need to build up your skills. You need to build up um, your own clients and be able to show the work you've done just like with any job, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a few years, but it's, it's been good. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, you kind of mentioned the, uh, pay to play. And just to clarify, I only know like the pay to play games. Is it like similar to that? Or is that what you're referring to? Um, I'm not sure about the games, but the platform is basically you pay and they have different tiers of membership. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you just join the free, you're not going to see all the auditions. You're also going to get them later than people who have paid for, you know, other tiers. So say you pay the top tier one, you are going to see all of the auditions that come through there first. You're going to have the first opportunity to audition for them. Um, and you have, I think like the, your profile will show up, you know, kind of like on a front page thing, something like that. Um, Versus if you have like the free membership or maybe like the first tier membership, you, you know, you can see. So say it's like, say it's an audition for water bottles. I don't know. And you can see. So say I log on, I'll see like, okay, two people have auditioned for this and they're looking for 30 auditions, submit my audition. But if I were on like the free version or like in the level one, there may already be like 28 or 29 in, or it may already be filled. You know what I mean? So it just makes it, um, a little easier when you pay to be on the platform. There are some voiceover pay to plays that aren't great, <laughs> but there are lots of blogs and um, lots of resources in like the voiceover Facebook groups and things where you can really read all about pay to plays. The only one I dabble in is voice one, two, three. And like I said, I've, I've been a big fan. Mm. And when you say like some of those uh, are, par- are possibly not the best or they're controversial, is it like uh, just controversial because it's uh, doesn't give like equal opportunity for some of these or, you know? Yeah, I think just like um, the way the platforms are run or um, transparency, things like that. Um, or a big issue is like budget, like they'll jobs will be posted way under budget and you know, you want to keep the budget where it should be um, because, you know, you you want to make it right. You don't want to be doing work that is worth X amount for, you know, peanuts. So a lot of it has to do with budget as well. Mm-hmm. But I guess I should, should say the rates, the rates. And like the idea of coming into something like this and, um, you know, you're kind of like starting off on some of these uh, websites and apps to build out a client base. And you kind of have the uh, professional experience al- already as far as behind the scenes. And, um, you know, you're taking courses in this. I was kind of wondering on like specifically with the equipment, 
um, you know, someone was trying to fall in your footsteps and maybe, you know, try something out. Is there any possible, um, you know, specifically like mics or anything that they need to check out? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are so many microphones. Um, I, but I would say the very first thing that somebody who wants to get into voiceover or is curious about it is to work with a coach, you know, find out, um, if it really is, you know, something that you should dive into because voiceover to start out, you, um, you can end up putting a little bit of money into it just to get a mic and, you know, the proper sound, um, you know, paneling and things like that. You can do it for, um, not a lot of money, but eventually as you get in, you're going to have to invest into a great mic, into something called Source Connect, into an interface. Um, so I would say the very first thing to do would be to find a reputable coach, um, which is very easy to do in, you know, like I said, the Facebook groups um, or, you know, different newsletters like VO Extra, things like that. Ask around, talk to some people um, and work with the coach to find out you know, are you ready to invest in this mic? Are you, you know, how long should you be coaching? You know, demos are a big thing and you'd never want to just dive into making your own demo or, well, you should always have somebody else make it, but you don't want to dive into paying to have one made until you are really ready. And a coach is going to be able to tell you that. And there are some great coaches in the voiceover world. Um, so that would be the first step. But then, you know, say you work with a coach and they think you're ready and you're ready. So it's time to make a demo. So, you know, you'll get your demo made and that's a whole process too. Um, for microphones, I know a lot of people just starting out, we use certain USB mics, which can be great. I, I'll use them when I travel. You know, I have a travel setup. So if I'm not going to take, I uh, work every day off of a mic called a Sennheiser 416 and I will travel with it. But if it's something quick, they make a lot of great USB mics. So a lot of people will start out with a USB mic. Um, and in your closet, like if you have a closet or a room that you can kind of, um, I don't want to say soundproof, but sound treat, uh, just so you're not getting a lot of echo and things like that. Uh, that's a good thing to do. And closets are great because they're small and uh, you can keep your clothes in there. And, you know, when I go to a hotel or travel anywhere, I, you know, I'm always making a little studio out of either like, you know, putting the ironing board on the bed and draping sheets over it or, um, you know, putting the luggage stand on the desk and then draping stuff over it and pillow. So it's like any smaller space that you can sound treat um, and, you know, use a USB mic or just something like that to start out. I've seen a lot of people do that before you graduate to um, maybe more expensive things like a more expensive mic or an Apollo interface. Um, uh, you know, your software you use to edit. Like I use Adobe Audition. There are a few um, different systems you can use. And I use uh, Adobe and I really, really like it. And I I took a class on how to use it for voiceover, which I highly also recommend doing. Um, and yeah, so there are definitely steps. You don't want to dive into it, you know, not really knowing anything. Um, so working with a coach would be my number one tip. And typically, like, do people, I guess, like, um, go straight into voiceover? Or I guess, like, people you've sp spoken to in the past, do they typically go straight into voiceover acting work? Or, you know, do people that go into voiceover, voiceover acting work, um, like, have they already been behind the scenes for a while, like, in other creative fields? Like, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, like, in other fellow voice actors, have you 
um, kind of gnosis specific path? Yeah, I honestly would say everyone, there's not like one ant. Oh, sorry, my phone. <laughs> my watch was trying to record this as well. No, I would say that there's not one, you know, career that somebody did before they went into voiceover. You have a lot of people who were in radio before, whether behind the scenes in radio or on air in radio, um, some on camera, some who just have always wanted to do it or, you know, um, former stage actors, um, a lot of improv actors. So it's really a mix in terms of what people did before they got into voiceover. Some people have always been doing it. I'd say there's a large uh, group who have come from radio in some way or another, but everyone is different. And I wanted to ask, like, uh, when you're kind of talking about some of the previous fields that people have uh, came from into like voiceover acting work, it was kind of similar, like uh, kind of before um, we started recording, it kind of made me think on um, honestly, like the last like blockbuster I can think of that used the kind of voiceover acting work, like in a in a blockbuster film trailer. And I was kind of wondering, like moving forward, is there any like um, specific fields um, or like specific companies that you think are going to be huge as far as like hiring voice actors or, um, you know, are going to be a huge opportunity for anyone like trying to uh, do voiceover acting work? Um, it's hard to predict like what companies are going to do. I know that um, a lot of companies um, had work that they needed voices for like during COVID and after, because a lot of companies were changing their policies and how they were run and safety measures and things like that. So a lot of stuff had to be recorded or re-recorded. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, and I think with doing a lot of work from home now, there are a lot of modules and things that, um, companies use voice actors for. So it's hard to say, okay, you know, companies are going to start using them more. There's definitely, um, I found more work, you know, post COVID just because so much has changed and companies are, you know, getting back on their feet and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of just, I never really prepare for anything like that. I kind of just take the opportunities day by day because so much changes so quickly. Mm hmm. And I wanted to like, um, you know, when you're kind of bringing up like the idea of uh, an increase in clients and just the need for voiceover actor work during COVID, I, I guess like during the time of COVID, um, like specifically with your clients, do they do you normally get reached out on kind of uh, like uh, short term projects or do they like do long term projects like as far as like these long term commercials? Like what is a, uh, I guess, like typical contract like? Sure. Um, so a little bit of both. I have clients that I work with that I know are going to come to me sometimes weekly, biweekly, um, definitely monthly that, you know, because they're putting out a video or a spot every month for this, that, and the other thing. So I know that. And then there are some um, that are through like my management company or a talent agency that it might be a one-off, just like a big campaign. Um, and like I did one last year for Olive Garden, I actually saying I did like a little Christmas jingle for Olive Garden and they used it throughout Christmas. And then, um, they actually use it again this Christmas. So like, that was just like a holiday campaign that I hope they continue to use every Christmas. Um, but so it really depends, you know, there's no, 
way to predict like, okay, this will turn into something or this is just a one-off. Um, but usually they'll tell you that up front, like, hey, we're going to use this spot. We're going to use it for three months and it's going to live just on our website or, hey, this is a television commercial. It's regional. It's going to be for six months um, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you you always um, or you typically know the rates and the usage terms before you record, or at least you should. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to kind of like wrap up the episode, I honestly just wanted to ask about, you know, if there's any like upcoming projects that you're excited for or, you know, any any recent projects that you did that you really enjoyed or anything uh, you're trying to do in the voiceover acting world uh, that you would be excited about. Sure. So um, one very, very cool thing that I did um, in the past year, I guess I'll say, uh, is I I voice a lot of the spots inside Hollywood Studios at Disney. So for like all the parade and the show announcements and things like welcoming to the park, like all of that. And I got to do the voicing for um, the 50th anniversary this year. So every night at Hollywood Studios, each park does their own thing, but at Hollywood Studios, they light up, they do um, like a projection show on the Hollywood Tower of Terror. And I do my, I say my little thing. So that's very cool. I actually got to go see it um, a few months ago and was almost crying just because like I said earlier, I love Disney. So I've had the opportunity over the years to voice a ton for Hollywood Studios and um, so that's always fun. I always, always, always love the call from Disney for voiceover work. I um, am voicing all the spots for Invisalign right now on TV. So if you see an Invisalign spot, that's my voice, um, which has been great because that's been about two years now and is ongoing. So I really love that. And I also used Invisalign. So <laughs> that was cool. It's nice to voice um, for products that you've used before and that you love. So yeah, I think one kind of job that I would love to do that I haven't done is promo. So like promo for a TV show on a major network or for a movie or something like that. Um, That's an area of voiceover that I have not dabbled in yet. So I would say promo would be something very cool. And yeah, that's Disney and Invisalign are super fun. The Olive Garden thing was pretty cool too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's every day is different. I never know what's going to come in um, or what auditions are get a book to be a job, but I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. With like, uh, I had a random question and like uh, with commercials, like with uh, Disney, Disney and Invisalign, has there like, does anything ever like uh, pop up and you're shocked, like your voice is on it? Like, uh, like you're just watching TV and a commercial with your voice is on it? Yes. Well, so I know, you know, who I've voiced spots for and things like that. So it's never a surprise. It's like, oh my gosh, that company auditioned for that. And that's my voice. That would be very bad. That'd be very, very bad. Um, but yes, I have been sitting like, you know, watching TV or with my family and um, a spot will pop up. And one time my dad was watching TV and an Invisalign spot played. And then a spot I did for Stitch Fix played like right after it. And he was just like, oh my God. He was like, that was so cool. And now my parents like to try and find my voice. And like, they'll be like, oh, did you voice this? I'm like, no. They're like, oh, it sounded just like you. So I think that they they would like to think that I voiced all these commercials on TV. But so they like to play like find the voice and see if they can find my voice on different spots. Um, but yeah, so that's definitely happened. And it, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's uh, yeah, that's really bizarre to hear just kind of on the, the find your voice uh, on all these commercials. But honestly, just wanted to, you know, really thank you again, Sarah, for um, being able to take out the time and not just kind of explain like how you got into this, like with your personal experiences with music, with acting, with on stage performances and being behind the screen as well. But yeah, just kind of sharing tips for anyone that would possibly be interested and in kind of, uh, you know, going into your field, whether it's kind of uh, getting the equipment, doing the training, um, trying to find clients. Um, no, I think it's going to be, you know, really cool information that for anyone that's interested in getting to voice over acting work, but just kind of uh, getting into behind the scenes in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, everybody's path and journey um, and steps to their career are so different. But if anyone has any questions that they want to reach out, hopefully I can send them in the right direction um, and, you know, give some resources that could help. And you can always just find me on Instagram at Sarah Marantz or my website. You can shoot me a message there. Um, But yeah, I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. Mm -hmm. For sure. Definitely. Thank you again for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the PlatinumMask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at GrayMask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.